about to get into this word. I hope you enjoy that worship. We are in the book of Colossians still. Um, we've been going through that on Wednesday nights and going through the book of Colossians. I hope you uh, have listened to Pastor Kevin's sermon from last week. It was very good. Um, so make sure you go listen to that. Uh, let's open up in some prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I just give you glory. I give you praise, Lord. You're the reason why we're here. Speak to us by your word. In your holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we are in the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to do 11 through 17. Tonight's sermon's called Spiritual, Not Physical. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. It says this, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were baptized with Christ when you were, when you were, uh, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon, new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Number one, your spiritual flesh is being cut away, not the physical flesh. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 says, <clears throat> When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision that cut away your sinful nature. Sinful nature here is literally cut away of the body of the flesh. Uh, believers have a metaphorical flesh cutting away. Uh, literally, it's, it's using that metaphor of flesh being cut away, just like during circumcision. Now, uh, this was a symbol, circumcision was a symbol of the covenant that God had made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 to make him the father of many nations. Um, this symbol was to be passed on from generation to generation that all men would be circumcised when they're, when they're babies, when they're boys. And then this would be a symbol um, of a, a new identity, uh, removing the old identity, adding a new identity as uh, God's children. So they would always be known as God's children because of this uh, outward symbol. But even then, the physical act was not intended to be all that God had required of them. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to read 10, uh, chapter 10, 12 through 16. And it says this, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. 
Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the object of his love, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, and, is, and that is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Literally, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So even from the beginning, this ritual was not about the ritual. It was about what it represents. It was about a cutting away of the flesh. It was about changing your identity as to the identity of Christ. Uh, let's look in Romans chapter 2. Um, we're going to read 25 through 29. It says this, The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentile obey God, obeys God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you, Jews, who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you are not true Jews just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God and a true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the spirit and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. And we see in these scriptures, we see from the Old Testament, even when the symbol was passed down to Abraham and his descendants, so they could be people of God. And then we see Paul talking to the Jews in the New Testament, helping them understand that the symbol of circumcision, the symbols of following the law, everything that we do physically means nothing unless the heart condition behind it is there. Unless we spiritually have the heart condition that the symbols are supposed to represent. If we don't have that even paul says to the jews that basically you're not even jews if all you do is follow the law he's saying that that the gentiles are true jews if they obey uh god and 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 have uh, god in their heart and so he's saying that uh basically turning it on them so the the jews had relied on the fact that they're um in the lineage and the, the sons of abraham so that they're god's people by default so they have been relying on this fact alone for so long. And Paul is basically telling them, you can't rely on that. It really means nothing unless your changed heart seeks to uh, praise God and uh, seeks to have God be uh, uh, happy about you and your behavior, not what the people around you see of you and the praise that the people around you would give you. You must cut out all of the old flesh and give it no chance to grow back. So I think during this time when we have uh, more free time on our hands, I think that we're all looking for ways to um, uh, just learn new information. Let me put it that way. I deactivated my Facebook. That is no longer a resource for me for entertainment. But you know what? YouTube still has everything you could ever want on it. So... I was going through YouTube and I was watching YouTube and I came across this doctor who's called Dr. Pimple Popper. And I would tell you, it's exactly what you think it is. Um, some people say it was oddly satisfying. I thought it was pretty gross. And sometimes I felt like uh, it in my stomach and I was questioning why am I even watching this? It's kind of disgusting. 
But I did learn some medical knowledge that I can pass on to you from Dr. Pimple Popper. And this is it. Is that when you have this big cyst underneath your skin and it's swelling and bulging up, you basically have to cut away the flesh and pull this cyst out. Otherwise, it's just going to keep getting bigger and nastier and filling with pus. But what I, well, which is clearly obvious, right? I mean, obviously it's not going to go away on its own. You have to have an intervention. But this is what I didn't know, that the cyst lives in this sack. And if you just push all the pus out of it, but you don't take the cyst sack out of the hole, then it will just fill right back up with pus again. And you'll be right back in the same spot. So not only do you have to remove the nastiness and the pus, you have to remove the whole sack, cutting away all that flesh so that it won't get reinfected and come right back again. It's disgusting, I know. But I guarantee you in about 35 minutes, you're going to be on YouTube looking up Dr. Pimple Popper. And let me, and you won't be, you won't be sad that you did it. it. It will be oddly satisfying to you. Romans chapter 6 verse 2 says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? When you are saved, it means you are new and your life should change. You resist sin, you fight against the old sick sinful flesh. That's part of being a new creation is you're doing new things. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. You can't cling to that old life because it would be just like having that sack for your cyst still in your skin. It's just going to get nasty again if you don't just cut it out and and become the new life. Number two, spiritual death and burial, not physical Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over the cross, a victory over them on the cross. Now, this is the foundation. uh, uh, These are the foundational concepts of our Christian beliefs. So, You were spiritually dead in your sin. So you needed a savior. You couldn't save yourself. You were dead in your sin. You needed a savior to save you. Jesus is that savior. He physically died on the cross to become the final blood sacrifice for your sin. In the Old Testament, from the beginning of time, there was a sacrificial system that covered sin. Sin was very grievous and very wrong and needed something very serious to cover your sin. So they used to kill animals and shed their blood on the mercy seat. And that blood covering would forgive your sins temporarily. Now, the new covenant that Jesus Christ brings is that he is that final sacrifice, that sinless, perfect lamb who is sacrificed and have his blood shed when he's hanging on the cross so that your sins and my sins and sins for all eternity be, can be forgiven once and for all. One final sacrifice for all sins for all time. 
He physically died on that cross to become that blood sacrifice for all of sin. Now, Jesus' blood forgave your sin and canceled our debt. And him raising from the dead brings you to, uh, to eternal life as well. So through baptism, you ceremonially experience uh, Christ's physical death. And you are buried as you go underneath the water. And then you are raised out of the water to new life in Jesus Christ. So he talks about you being buried with Christ. This is a spiritual death and burial, not a physical death like Jesus had. But a spiritual death, and then you come back to new life. But just like with circumcision, it's meaningless as as a ritual by itself and only has meaning when it's combined with true faith and heart change. So, uh, you know, in, in the business of doing church, we do baptisms. And uh, there's been a variety of reasons why people have said they want to get baptized. Some people are brand new believers. They just got saved. They heard, hey, uh, out of obedience... Uh, to God, you're supposed to be baptized. It's an outward expression of an inward confession. You're supposed to do it publicly so all can see. It's your public confession of faith that you are now dying with Christ, raising up to new life, and that you're going to follow him forever. Um, but sometimes you have people who have been Christians for a while, then they, they drift away, and then they come back to the faith. And sometimes when you're talking to them, they have this idea that somehow... Getting water baptized again is like a reset button on your faith. Like, uh, like, it's like uh, erasing your, um, your search history on Google. It's like, yeah, you started searching for a bunch of bad stuff. You got really distracted for a while. You built up a whole bunch of cookies. Everything's running slow. And then you just go in there, clear your search history by getting baptized. And then you start from scratch and, and now you can go back into the world and not make any more mistakes. But that's really not what baptism means. Because if, if your baptism is just simply a, a ritual procedure because you think you're hitting a reset button, then that's not going to do anything for you. Just like no ceremony is going to do anything for you if the heart condition of why you're doing it isn't behind you. I remember uh, home ec class from eighth grade. Now, I'm not really sure what what they do in schools these days uh home economics was kind of a big quintessential part of being in school i, I remember in home ec i learned how to sew um i learned a lot of things and one thing we did in home ec was me and shonda otis got married in eighth grade in home ec class and it was actually kind of cool looking back on it because uh, you had pretty much everybody in class had a role to play. Um, I don't remember what all the roles were, but I was the groom. Shonda was the bride. We had uh, groomsmen's and bridesmaids and all this kind of stuff going on. And we were supposed to dress up that day. So I wore my best white jeans. Um, I had my button down shirt. I looked as much like uh, Zach on Saved by the Bell as I could. And so we're in there, and I remember this really, it was a really weird feeling because when we're up and we're doing the vows, it was this really weird feeling of saying these words that are so just important and just like, I don't think there's one ceremony more common to society than a marriage ceremony and saying those words but not meaning it at all. 
it, it was this really weird feeling. And when I think about this idea of getting baptized uh, when you're not really trying to live your life for Christ or, oh my gosh, getting circumcised when you don't know the value and the meaning behind it, um, I think of those situations where you uh, uh, get married in, uh, in class and, and you really didn't mean it and it didn't mean anything to you. Uh, it was just, it meant nothing. So when you look at that, uh, um, it was just for show. It, it was just for show on the outside. I think there was probably even a video cassette recorded um, for it, which, you know, by this time is is lost. Um, thank God there was no Facebook or social media when I was in eighth grade because um, we would all be sunk Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 6. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we are, we may, uh, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in death, We will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you cut that flesh away, you cut that spiritual flesh, that old man away, you were supposed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a new life. And no longer be a slave to the desires of sin, but now you are essentially a slave to the power of Christ. You live in obedience to Christ, and that's the direction you want to go. You are freed up from those old desires which held you in bondage. The third thing is this. Spiritual reassurance, not physical rituals. Colossians chapter 2, 16 and 17. So don't let anyone contemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. In, in this culturally and religiously diverse area, of Colossae, but then, of course, also where we live. Uh, it's like that, too. Many of the people's past practices have worked their way into their new Christian faith. So condemning others for not adopting their rituals is like peer pressure. The more rituals you observe, the more holy you must be, right? And I think we see that. I think so often when we look at the, the churches um, of the Gentiles back in the Bible times, I, I, they just seems like there's so many parallels to our churches today in our essentially Gentile nations now where you have people living in the, the pagan type cultures, basically the selfish live for yourself type self-indulgent cultures. And then they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's that same kind of coming uh, out and changing your entire life. And I think especially in our area in the Northwest, because um being a Christian is so countercultural here. There's no baseline expectation that you're going to know anything about church or Christ or anything else. You really have to go out of your way to be a Christian in the Northwest. And so when people come to Christ, 
whether they uh, came or come into the church, uh, whether they came from maybe a stricter religious background or another type of faith or even just the world, so often whatever gave them identity and strength and made them feel like they were uh, worthy or powerful, they bring that stuff with them too. And so they bring that stuff into the environment and then subtly, low-key, try to shame other people around them for not following those same rules that they think are making them that much better than anybody else. And so um, I was thinking, uh, one of the things I thought about when we look at the, the peer pressure of these kind of things, I was thinking about the fire service and the fire department. I'm a firefighter. I work for the fire department. Now, it's interesting because you've probably seen some uh, you know, reality shows on TV. I think there's the Chicago Fire. Somebody asked me the other day um, if I had seen the show Chicago Fire and how realistic it was. Um, I have not seen the show Chicago Fire, um, but this is what I heard about it. I heard that it's somewhat realistic in what actually the, that you could go to these bad scenarios, but it's as if they took a, an entire career and patched it, punched it all into a 44 minute episode. Uh, so uh, apparently it's quite dramatic um, and a lot of really, you know, crazy stuff happens. But there's a saying that you have in the fire service. It's a uh, hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress. Um, so much of, of what you do is because of what somebody else did. Um, you used to uh, East Coast. Um, even up until like the 80s, there was a tradition of when you came back from an emergency call, you'd rinse the, the undercarriage of the fire engine off. And so then the question was, well, why do we do that? And the answer was because when you used to have horse and carts with steam uh, steam pumps on them, the horses would kick up all sorts of debris and mud underneath the, the cart. And so every time you came back, you had to hose all that stuff down and hose it off. But at some point, people lost sight of why they were actually doing it. And then they carried that tradition on into areas where they don't need it at all. I mean, there's lots of traditions they have in the fire service. Um, but mostly there's this kind of concept of being big and tough. Um, you pretty much need to have a mustache. So I pretty much struggled my whole career to try to fit in because there is no way short of a miracle that I'm going to be able to grow a mustache. Um, you have to have a big red truck. Um, I'm halfway there because my car is red, but it's a Prius. So it's, uh, maybe fits in more in the Northwest, but maybe not so much into the fire service. But there's one thing, um, that has always been something that's a struggle to adopt in, emer in emergency services is protective equipment. Because, uh, when I talked to the old guys when I got hired, they didn't even wear rubber gloves or anything. So the more blood you got on you, the better. And that was like your badge of honor that you worked the hardest and you did the most because you had so much blood on you. Now, that's appalling um, and disgusting. Um, and because my generation, I can't uh, I can't even picture doing anything without, you know, my exam gloves on. Uh, and now, of course, with the season we're in now, you, we wear a mask on every call. And shoot, we wear a mask at the grocery store for Pete's sake. I guess the whole world's falling apart. But this one time I remember um, uh, it used to be that you wouldn't wear your breathing apparatus, your mask and your SCBA. You wouldn't wear it after the fire was out. 
Um, and so you would want to save air because you wouldn't want to be the guy wearing it when you didn't need to, you know, because we're smoke eaters and we're tough and, and we do all those kind of things. But I remember this one time, it was, it was the summer, it was like a 95 degree day. We had gone to this house fire and put out this house fire, but it, man, it was hot. And the top, the first floor was sagging like this into the basement. And so we, as the truck company, needed to go in there and shore up the floor so the investigators can come in and do their fire investigation. So it's still smoldering and those kind of things. And we're still in kind of the cultural time frame, uh, probably 15 years ago, where you didn't really have to wear it. But I'm looking at this thing and thinking, it's hot, but there's a lot of smoky gas in there. So I have this equipment that protects my breathing. Why would I not wear it? It just makes sense, right? And so I was like, well, I'm going to get my SCBA on. I'm going to wear it. And my crew, no joke. (sighs) Well, it's really hot outside. Yeah, I'm aware. It's 95 degrees. I'm wearing a snowsuit. We're already hot. We're already sweaty. So what's another 15 minutes being hot and sweaty? Um, And so I actually kind of pressured them a little bit because I was so insistent that I was going to wear this. I actually kind of pressured them into wearing it. But so often we get pressured by the rest of society for uh, not wanting to conform to, to what, what we know we should be doing. And so I asked myself quite a bit, actually, and I think you should ask yourself, why are you doing what you're doing? Because Why? Why do you do what you do? Is it because, is it because everybody else did, is doing it? Um, do you have some sort of personal conviction that makes you want to do the things that you do? Um, or do you do it to honor God? Um, intent is the most important thing. So uh, I know for me, I'm always asking myself, why am I doing this? What, what's the value? Uh, before I make a decision, I often ask myself, is is the, am I going, what's the outcome I'm going for? And does this decision get me there? Um, especially with conversations and things like that. So often we want to be seen as right. So often we want to fire back, but so often your words and your wanting to be right and get the last word and, and make your point hurt is just going to wreck the relationship even further or push people even further away from the point you want to make. So you have to ask yourself, what's it worth? Why are you doing what you're doing? And is God getting honored because of it? In Romans chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 says this, For instance, one person believes it's uh, all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Now, this isn't talking about being a vegan. So don't think that somehow the Bible is uh, in support of this stereotype that vegans are weak uh, in conscience and weak physically and all they can do is eat vegetables. It's not even talking about that. Just like everything else we're talking about in this sermon, we're talking about the spiritual application, not the physical application. So he's talking about what they eat and their conscience due to their religious beliefs 
about how they're honoring God in it. So there's so many things that Jews um, couldn't eat and couldn't touch and couldn't do. And what Paul is saying is don't uh, shame them or belittle them for what they're doing because they're trying to obey their conscience and their and their attempt to honor God, just like the um, the spiritual vegan, I guess you would say, is not supposed to shame you for eating your meat because you're not worried about the fact of where it came from or how it was prepared. So it's talking about this idea of not um, being shaming each other into what, what you're trying to do here, but being um, sensitive and paying attention to why you're doing what you're doing and why they're doing what they're doing and, and trying to honor God. And continues in Romans 14, Romans 14, 5 through 8. It says, In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food do it to honor the Lord, since they gave thanks to God before eating it. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This is a great section of scripture that Paul is, is helping the, the new believers, the, the Jew, new Jewish believers and the new Gentile believers to basically leave a lot of those traditions of men at the door. And don't force those things and try to shame their fellow believer into these things. The intent is what you do. Whether you live or die, you're doing it to honor the Lord because we belong to the Lord. Um, I think about often, actually, I think about what it would look like to be Amish in real life. Um, sometimes I think if I were to join the Amish community, it would be much like that show um, where uh, Vanilla Ice goes Amish. And he just, just stands there. Every, I don't know if you've ever seen this show. I like it. I mean, I grew up in the early nineties. I, I, I like vanilla ice. Okay. You, that's okay. I do. It's, you don't have to be ashamed to say that, but I love seeing him there, honestly, because he's so gracious and so humble as he watches these people who are so firm in their beliefs that they're willing to push all of society away, all the technical advances, all these things that we love and make our lives so simple. Uh, so much easier. They choose the hard road because they want to honor God in it. And so Vanilla Ice is there all tatted up, you know, shaved eyebrow and all just being so respectful. And they're being very respectful of him too. But even in that, the Amish beliefs, and I would be willing to bet, although I don't really know any Amish people, I'd be willing to bet that the majority, if not, uh, you know, a huge percentage live that life and do those things because they want to honor God and what they're doing with their lives. And they're willing to uh, push a society away, every technical advancement and cell phone away because they want to honor God and how they live their lives. But even with that level of strict uh, adherence and obedience, because when you look through, especially through the New Testament, you can pick out several things in the New Testament that where you're like, that's where the Amish got it from. That's where they got that from. So it's, they are doing their best to live a, a strict biblical life. 
and their interpretation of it. Um, but even in that, even with all that they do, their motives matter. And uh, the, the, whatever they're doing is, is, is meaningless to God if they don't have the right heart condition for it. And so even in that, so, so don't let anyone condemn you because Christ is all sufficient. And when you really read through Colossians here, and we're going to be going through it all summer, is that a resounding theme in Colossians is that Christ is all sufficient. He's sufficient for salvation. He's sufficient for forgiveness. He's sufficient for everything you need in your life. Let's look at this um, verse. First Peter chapter one, verses three and four says this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us a great and uh, a, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Man's rules and the cultural expectation can't make you more holy or more loved by God. There's nothing you can do that can make you more holy or more loved by God than uh, the moment you accepted that gift of salvation. Uh, that you uh, repented, turned away from your sin, and became one of God's children to live your life for Jesus Christ. That's it. Sealed. You're in the books. You are in his favor. He loves you. He's not going to forsake you. You can't be Amish enough to make God love you any more than he already loves you as the believer in Christ. And my final verse is this, Galatians 3, 3. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Now, there's a difference between justification and sanctification. You are justified by faith in Jesus Christ from the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ. Holy justified in the books. But sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ day after day. As you cut away more and more of your flesh, as you give up more and more of your rights, as you put down more and more of your uh, selfish desires and pleasures and take up uh, the mantle of Christ, sacrifice for him, grow in those things. You do that by prayer and fasting and Bible reading and seeking after God. It's a, it's a obedience motivated by grace or grace motivated obedience uh, to Jesus Christ. And that's the key to your relationship with Christ and fulfilling what Christ has for you. So maybe you're here today uh, or in, you know, watching today, and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. There's no greater decision that you can make than this. And I don't want you, uh, I don't want this opportunity to go by without giving you the chance to do that. Um, it's, it's a not complicated um, a process. You have to recognize that Jesus Christ is all sufficient to forgive your sin. You're a sinner. You need a savior. Jesus Christ is that savior. You need to ask him for forgiveness. Believe that he is your savior. And turn away and walk the other direction with Christ. Turn away from your old self. Walk your direction with Christ. And become a new believer. So uh, right now I want to pray with you. If that's you today and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord God. Lord Jesus I love you so much. 
I recognize that you are an all-sufficient Savior. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, take away and forgive all my sins. I repent of them right now. Lord God, I don't want to live the old life, the sinful life. Lord Jesus, I want to live for you now in your holy name. Cleanse me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I love you. In your holy name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I want you to go ahead and uh, send us a message uh, through this, the website or, or however. Just send us a message and let us know, man. Let us know and, and we can support you. And then when, you know, the world opens up again, come and make this your church home so we can have community and family together, okay? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word tonight. We love you, Lord. You are, are worth all honor and praise. We are nothing without you. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thanks for watching tonight. Uh, You're awesome. Remember, Sunday, we have a drive-in service and an online service. And let's just continue to be together as family in Christ until we open the doors again. See you guys later.